Good morning. If we can find our seats, we'll get started this morning. As you're finding your seats, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. We um, are going to jump back in a book eventually here, uh, starting in February. We've got a couple of Sundays coming up. Um, which will be topical and talking about different things, uh, Celebration Sunday at the end of this month. Um, and so I decided I didn't want to start a book today and then be away from it a couple Sundays and then get back into it in February. So February, we're going to start the book of Exodus as a church, and uh, we'll be preaching through the books of, book of Exodus. Um, until then, uh, today I wanted to go over this parable this morning, the parable of the talents. So if you would, read along with me, starting verse 14. Verse 14, 4, he will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went out at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the Two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts with him, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And also, and he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, or he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have um, what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have interest, or invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to, to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you would, pray with me this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, that I pray that you're just with us this morning, Lord. That your spirit, as we go through this parable, reveals the truths that are found in it, God. That we learn the importance of this life and the resources and the abilities that you've given us, Lord, 
that we learn that those are stewardships given to us, Lord. That they're gifts, but they're stewardships that we are to use to glorify you, God. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room, Lord, anyone that's watching online that doesn't know you, that does not have a personal relationship with you, that have not put their trust in you, Lord, that they hear the truths and the warnings that, that are in this parable, Lord. Without, without your son, Lord, without faith in him, we are destined to hell, Lord. God, that's a heavy reality, Lord. I pray that that reality weighs on anyone that doesn't know your son, Lord, and that they put their faith in him today. Be with us, Lord, as we go over this parable in your son's name. Amen. Last week, I decided to uh, cover a title of Jesus, um, Jesus as the son of David. And the reason I wanted to cover Jesus as the son of David was because of kind of the political um, uh, ugliness we've seen at the election that we just had. I had no idea what this week in store was going to happen. Uh, but at God's providence, um, we looked at Jesus as the son of David. And the reason why Jesus as the son of David is because that points to him as king. And what type of king Jesus would be. And we, we saw that Jesus was, will be and is a just king. An eternal king. And a compassionate king. And those within his kingdom will be blessed. And we look forward to Jesus' earthly reign. One day he will return and establish his kingdom on earth. And um, I was hoping that last week we would, would put our hope in that. And that we see our hope is not in any kingdom of this earth, but the kingdom of heaven, Christ's kingdom. Today I want to tackle something a little bit different. And the question I want to really answer, the, the a topic I want to answer is, what should we be doing as we're waiting for Jesus' second coming? Right, we're hoping for Jesus' second coming and what what his reign will be like, what should we be doing until then? So let me give you the context of this parable I just read, because I think this parable answers that question. Before we even get there, actually, I want to answer the question, what is a parable? Uh, Parables are made-up stories that parallel life. That's where we get the word parable from. Jesus spoke often in parables. They usually teach a lesson, and usually it's one main lesson that a parable is teaching. This parable is actually the longest in a chain of parables. There's three parables that are all connected. They're all teaching a very similar message. The parable of the talents is the longest one, and I believe it's the most important out of the three. If you would actually turn to Matthew 24, just a chapter before verse 36. This chapter, chapter... 24 and even chapter 25 is often called the Olivet Discourse. The reason it's called that is because it was taught on the Mount of Olives, which oversaw Jerusalem. This teaching that Jesus was giving in chapter 24 is about really the destruction of Jerusalem. They're looking at Jerusalem. Jesus is teaching about the destruction of Jerusalem, the judgment that was going to happen on Israel, and he really starts talking about end times and his second coming. You look at verse 36, in fact, it says this. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the end times and his second coming. And he tells his disciples, no one knows when he will come back for his second coming. No one knows the time, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. The reason why this was an important teaching for the disciples is the disciples thought that Jesus would establish his earthly kingdom in their lifetime. 
I just remind you that was over 2,000 years ago. But look at verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. mill. One will be taken and one will be um, left. Therefore, and here's the command, right? Therefore, stay awake. This is the command to his disciples. This is the command to, to all those that can come after the disciples, to the church, to us. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is saying that he is going to be going away, and we see this in the ascension, right, to the right hand of the Father. But one day he will be back to establish his kingdom on earth. And most people, when he comes back, won't be ready. It'll be like the time of Noah, where the people in, the, in Noah's day were, were going about day-to-day life without even th- any thought of God and what was coming. And the warning of this flood that was coming, they laughed at. Most people will be busy with day-to-day life, not concerned with eternity or Jesus' second coming. But Jesus commands his people, his followers, to stay awake, to be ready. Live like Jesus is coming back tonight. Look at verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. From here, this teaching that Jesus has been teaching, he He teaches three parables that are connected to this idea that his coming is going to be coming when no one expects it. All of them have to do with the anticipation of Jesus' second coming. The first parable is found in Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. It's a parable of two servants, one faithful and wise, one evil and foolish. The lesson is really that Jesus' return is imminent, and the wise servant faithfully anticipates his return. The second parable is found in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. This parable is about ten virgins or bridesmaids, five that are wise and five that are foolish, five that are ready for the bridegroom and five that are not ready. The main point of this parable, like the the one before, is that Jesus is coming, Christ is coming, when no one expects it. In fact, um, he might... uh, the there's a lesson in this parable that his arrival will be later than expected. You see, in the second parable, the bridegroom is delayed longer than is expected. But the wise follower is prepared, waiting and watching for the second coming of Christ. Again, the lesson is we should be waiting and watching for Christ and Christ's return. And it may take longer than we think. In fact, Jesus was preparing the disciples that it was going to take longer than they thought. They thought that Jesus would return in in their lifetime. And I want to say this because I think we are starting to feel 
like the end is coming, which is probably true, but 2,000 years of church history, every generation thought the end was coming soon. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter 3.8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We're called to be ready. And that's the point of the first two parables. It's teaching us to be anticipating and, and watching and waiting for Christ's return. The third parable, the parable of the talents, what we just read, teaches us what we should be doing while we are waiting and watching. In fact, it teaches us what, what it means to be faithfully waiting and watching for Christ's return. So that's the context of this parable. Now, I want to look at this parable, and I want to do two things. The first thing I want to do is I want to look at the story, right? This is a made-up story that, that Jesus has made, again, that parallels life, that teaches a lesson, right? The first thing I want to do is just look at the story itself, because there's context about what, that we don't know that's going on here, and it helps to know some of the context to, to get us who are 2,000 years removed um, to understand the story well. The second thing I want to do is look at the lessons learned from this story, how this made-up story parallels true life and what lessons we can learn from it. So let's start with the story, the story of the talents, right? This is the parable of the talents. There's really, I believe, six parts to this story. The first one is this, the responsible, responsibility given by the master. The second part is this, the, the actions taken by the servants. The third part, the long-awaited return of the master. The fourth part, the faithfulness of the first two servants, the fifth part, the faithlessness of the last servant, and the sixth part, the judgment. So let's go through these different parts of this parable. The first part, the responsibility given by the master. Look at verse 14 again. It says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with property. The word servants here is doulos, which we should be very familiar with. This word means slave or bond servant. The master, the owner of this property, the owner of these slaves, entrusted them with his property. Now, many slaves in the Roman Empire were very well trusted and very capable. Often they were more educated even than their owners. And the owners would have them educated in certain things so that they would be good at different, different aspects of taking care of the property. This master trusted these men with a considerable amount of wealth, as we will see. And the goal was to grow that wealth, to create more wealth. Look at verse 15. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. What is a talent? I think it's important that we understand uh, what a talent is. It's a measurement of wealth, but, but really, literally, it's actually a measurement of weight. A talent was a weight. It was a considerable amount of weight. I read it could be from 60 to 80 pounds even. It was something, it was a weight of something very valuable. That's why it was uh, a wealth of some sort, which makes it very hard to determine exact, exactly what the worth is, because 
If it was a talent of gold, it would be extremely wealthy, extremely valuable. If it was a talent of silver, it would be less valuable. If it was a talent of bronze, it would be even less valuable. So it's hard to tell exact, exactly what the value of a talent is. But it was a considerable amount, and it probably was silver. In fact, one value commonly assigned to a talent was about 600 denarii, which, how much is that? It would have taken a day labor 20 years to make that much money. 20 years to make that much money. So if you take minimum wage, the average minimum wage across America, which I know is different than California, um, and you do the math, it could have been well over $300,000 in equivalent to today's money. All that to say... This points to a lot of wealth. A lot of wealth that was given to each different servant. So one servant got five talents. One servant got two talents. And one servant got one talent. Even that one talent, I just want to be clear, was a considerable amount of wealth that was given to grow more wealth. So that's the gift. And and it wasn't a gift, right? The, the servants were stewards of this wealth. It wasn't given to them to, to use for their own means. It was given to them to grow more wealth, to be stewards over this wealth, to, to create more wealth. Look at verse 15 again. It says this, to, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. It says this, to each according to his ability. Ability in, in Greek is uh, dunamos, which is usually translated power, to each according to their power. In fact, we get the word dynamite from this, but the, the connotation, it has a connotation of ability or capability. So ability is a good translation. In other words, one servant had, had more capabilities than the other, or was more capable to handle wealth. Maybe more talented, maybe more educated, maybe just had a lot more experience in, in gaining wealth. The most capable got five talents, the next most capable got two talents, and the least capable got one talent. You might be thinking, well, that's not fair. Well, remember, this is not a gift. This is a stewardship. It was a responsibility. So think about that. The servant that was given five talents was given way more responsibility than the servant that was given one talent. He was five times more responsible meaning he's five times more accountable than the, the, the one-talent servant. So that's the responsibility given. The second part of this parable, the actions taken by the servants. Look at verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. He who had received the five talents, it says, went at once. The Greek word means immediately. It's often translated immediately. Right? It shows eagerness. As soon as the master gave him the five talents and went away, he immediately went out and traded with them. Again, the Greek implies here that this was an ongoing process. It wasn't one lucky transition. It was actually hard work in gaining wealth from this five talents that was given to him. Right? And he made five more talents. He doubled the amount that was given to him. Look at verse 17. So also... right. And that just means in the same way, right? eagerly, with hard work. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. Here we see, really, I believe, the brilliance of this parable. 
Jesus was a master at telling stories, and his parables are amazing. This is where we see the brilliance of this story, right? Just do the math. The first servant made five talents. That's a lot of money, right? It's a lot of wealth. The second servants made, made, second servant made two talents. Now just think about that. The first servant made three more talents, which is a lot. Three more that doubled, or that's um, one more talent than the second uh, servant made. But they both equally doubled the amount given to them. The first servant was given five talents, and he made five talents. The second servant was given two talents, and he made two talents. This means they were equally faithful with what was given to them. Even though the first servant made a lot more. Look at verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now let me start by saying this was actually a legitimate way of protecting wealth in antiquity. There wasn't that many safe places to store your money just to have it stored. And so one of the things people did was actually go out in the middle of the night, dig a hole in their property somewhere, only where they knew where it was, and put the wealth in that hole and would keep the property safe. But I want to be clear, this was completely irresponsible. He wasn't given this wealth to keep safe. In fact, if the master wanted the the wealth to be in in the ground somewhere, hidden, it would have made more sense that he would just go out and do it. He gave this money, this, this wealth to his servant to be a manager, to be a steward of this, this, this money, to, to grow, to make more wealth. Which leads to a question, and this is one of the important questions of this parable. Why did this servant do this? Right, why did he bury the wealth in the ground? This question gets answered as we go on. So let's look at the third part of this parable the long-awaited return of the master. Look at verse 19. It says this, Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, after a long time, it's an important phrase. Now, after a long time indicates this was a lot longer than expected. The master was supposed to be gone for a certain amount of time, and, and he was gone a lot longer than expected. Since traveling was extremely dangerous in antiquity in this time, the servants may have thought he was in trouble. Something happened on, on the traveling. and the, Maybe he got robbed by robbers or he had health issues. They didn't know. Maybe he even was dead, killed on the way to where he was going or on the way back. He was dead and he wasn't coming back. The servants didn't know. But after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. In other words, he did come back to settle the accounts to see how much wealth was grown while he was gone. Leads to the fourth part of this parable, the faithfulness of the first two servants. Look at verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five um, talents more, saying, Master... You delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. He doubled the wealth. 100% growth. That's huge, right? Think about that. If you could invest your money and know that you would get 100% growth over a certain amount of time, you would do that. And this was a considerable amount of money. It wasn't just a little bit. He made a lot of money for his master. Look at verse 21. 
lot of wealth. So his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's two things that we see, right? The reward for being faithful over the property that was given. And you start to see uh, what, what this parallels in real life. The first one is this, that I will set you over much. In other words, he has proven himself, therefore, he's going to be given greater responsibilities. The second thing that the master tells him is, enter into the joy of your master. Right? This points to the joy that we will have in eternity. I also believe, just so you know, that I will set you over much talks about the responsibilities we will have in, re- in eternity. You know, sometimes I think we think heaven is going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp or something. Um, and the intermediate state will be separated from bod- our bodies. But when Jesus comes back in his second coming, we will have physical bodies, resurrected bodies, and we will be living in a physical world in eternity with responsibilities and everlasting joy. That picture of heaven, of eternity, is so much more exciting to me than the idea of sitting on a cloud (laughs) playing a harp for eternity. And it's beyond anything we can imagine. So the reward was given greater responsibilities and joy. Look at verse 22. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now this is super important in this parable. He tells the second servant the same exact thing he told the first servant. Even though the first servant made made over twice as much as the second servant. And the first servant made five talents. The second servant only made two talents. Yet, both doubled the talents that were given to them in the first place. Right? That means they were both equally faithful with what was given to them. Therefore, they both got the same response of the master. Leads to the fifth part of this parable. The fifth part, the faithlessness of the last servant. Look at verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Now I want you to hear this response. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. In other words, he is claiming that the master, he's telling this master that you are an unreasonable man, a hard man, and a thief. Look at verse 25. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So this is what the servant is claiming, why he hid this talent in the ground, why he buried it and tried to keep it safe, because he was afraid of the master. Because the master was a hard man and and a thief, he said. That's why he hid the money. But look at verse 26. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. 
And when you first read this parable, and I know this is true for me, I've read this and been confused at this point, because obviously this master is pointing to God. And you have this accusation that, that this master is both a hard man and a thief. And then you get to verse 26, and it seems like the master is agreeing with the servant. Yeah, this is who I am, right? When you first read it, that's what it seems like. But I want you to notice the question mark. In most of your translations, at the very end of this verse, you see a question mark. The reason that question mark is there is that, that this is because the master is being facetious. In other words, he's saying, if you truly believe that this is who I was, right, if you truly believe that I was an unreasonable man, it, that I was a thief, if you were truly afraid of me, then, verse 27, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. In other words, it wasn't because you were afraid. If you were afraid, you would have at least done the bare minimum to make a little bit of money off my wealth. Because that's what I told you to do. Right? He's calling him out saying, that's not why you buried the money. Right? If you're truly afraid, you would have done something. Right? The bare minimum, the banking industry and ancient Rome was similar to the banks today, he would have got a little bit of interest at least if he would have put the money in the bank while he was gone. So this leads again back to this important question that we haven't answered yet. Why did the man bury the money? Well, I think it is answered, and I think the response of the master does answer this question. It's in verse 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. In other words, you're lazy. You're lazy. He probably was putting off the hard work. He got the money, buried it in his mind. He probably was thinking, well, I'll, do, I'll, I'll get some, I'll, I'll use it tomorrow. I'll start working with it tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it later. I'll put it off. Right. It was a long time before the master came back. He might even start thinking, I don't even think he's going to come back. We'll, we'll deal with it later. Instead of um, putting the money and making wealth right away like the first servant who immediately went out and made money, he put the money in the ground saying, hey, I'll start working with that later. Not only that, instead of asking for forgiveness when the master came back and surprised him and humbly saying, saying I messed up, I should have put the money in the bank, I should have done something with it, he instead accuses, falsely accuses his master of being a thief and an unfair man. Therefore, verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. In other words, give the one talent of this wicked and lazy servant to the hardworking, faithful servant who already had ten talents. Which leads to the sixth and final part of this parable. Verse 29. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This last servant was cast into the outer darkness, a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I just want to be clear that this is hell. Matthew uses this term a lot, weeping and gnashing of teeth, and 
It represents eternity in hell. And I just also want to be clear that that's a reality. Hell is a reality. And so that's the parable and the, the story and the context behind the story. I want to look at what this story teaches us now. And there's at least five lessons. I had like, I think, eight or nine lessons, and I cut them down because I didn't think we'd get out of here um, for lunch. So I have five lessons uh, from this parable. First lesson is this, and this is the main lesson. Now, usually parables have one main lesson that, that is being taught, and the first and second lesson are the main lessons that are being taught in this parable. The first lesson is this. We are called to work while we wait for Jesus' second coming. We are called to work while we wait for Jesus' second coming. Let me just remind you of the context of this parable. Jesus is teaching about end times. He's telling his disciples that I'm going to leave for a time, but I will return. Then he tells three parables. The first two parables taught the disciples to be anticipating and waiting for the return of Christ, to be ready for Christ's return. The third parable, the parable of the talents, teaches us how to be ready for Christ's return. The parable teaches that we should be using our abilities, our resources, our intellect, our money, our time to glorify God. To further his kingdom. To take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. Because our time here is temporary and it's short. And we should be using it for something that, that is meaningful. The parable really teaches us to get to work. Remember the first two servants, the faithful servants. Look at verse 16. Again, it says this. He who had received the five talents went at once. You know what that implies? The Greek word immediately. He went at once. It, it implies that he was eager to work for his master. I'm guessing he loved his master. And he was, he took the responsibility, the stewardship of what was given to him very seriously. And he went at once and, and worked hard and made five talents more. I want to be clear here because I don't want to get a mixed message that's going on. We are not saved by works. We're not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith and through faith alone. But the Reformer said, faith is never alone. It always produces fruit. True faith always produces fruit. We're saved by grace, by God's grace. Jesus Christ came and did the works himself. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised on the third day, and he's at the right hand of God right now. And if you believe in that, and you have faith in Christ, you are saved. That's how we are saved. But faith, true faith, always produces fruit. And we see the eagerness of the first two servants to work, because they love their master. Sign of salvation is being eager to use everything we have, our abilities, our resources, our intellect, our money, our time, to further the kingdom. The first two servants were eagerly working hard in anticipation of the master's return. And they were excited for his return. The third servant was lazy. He said, I'll, I'll get to it tomorrow. I have too many things going on right now. 
and too many things in my personal life. I'll get to, to, to my master's business later. Really, the third servant represents a wasted life. A wasted life. Which leads to the second lesson I believe this parable is teaching. And this is the main lesson. Jesus' return will be unexpected, so don't wait. Look at verse 19. It says, Now after a long time, again, I think the third servant buried the talent thinking, I'll get to it tomorrow. Right? I have plenty of time. He's going to be gone for a long time. And then after a while, I think he thought, hey, I don't even think he's going to come back at all. And I think there's many people that think this way. Right? They have the same attitude. Or I'll follow Christ when I get married. I want to go to college and live it up for a little bit. Right? I'll follow Christ when I have kids. That's when you go back to church and you start following Christ is when you have kids and a family. I'll follow Christ when I retire. I'm too busy with work right now. Or maybe it's just, I'm just so busy with life right now. You know, one day I'll follow Christ. Too many important things going on. If that's you, let me just ask the question. Is there anything more important than your relationship with God? No. Remember what Jesus is warning Matthew twenty four thirty six. No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Verse 42. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Verse 44. You also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will, be, will come when, when least expected. Verse 50. The Master will return unannounced and, and unexpected. Listen, don't wait. Put your faith in Christ now. Follow him now. You are not promised tomorrow. Now, I mean now. If you don't have a relationship with him, if you're not sure if you have a relationship with him, don't wait. Which brings us to our third lesson. Not everyone has been given the same abilities. This is one of the reasons I wanted to go over this parable because there's disparities in this world. This is such a countercultural, right now, our culture, countercultural parable, this teaching. Remember I said last week that, that in our world, injustice equals disparities. Injustice equals disparities. But this parable teaches that there will be disparities in this world. Remember, one person was given five talents. One person was given two talents. One person was given one talent. I believe the talents in this parable have a broader meaning than just wealth, too. I want to be clear on this. Even though the the parable is talking about wealth, I think it has a, a, a broader meaning than wealth. In fact, I think the talents represent all types of resources. One commentator put it this way. Jesus mentions only three levels of responsibilities. Five talents, two talents, one talent. But those are suggestive of the extremely wide range of individual resources among people who vary greatly in natural talent, in intellect, in finances, in freedoms, in time, health, and other means. I mean, think about that. It seems like some people are just given so much, right, in our lives. We look around. And it's not just resources. The author keeps going. He says this, 
We also vary greatly in opportunity and privilege. Some church members have heard the gospel and studied scripture since early childhood, whereas others know only the basics of the faith and have had little opportunity to learn more. These who are true believers are also given spiritual gifts that vary widely from person to person. Some Christians are privileged to know and or to live and work closely with others of like faith and are continually encouraged and corrected by fellow believers. Other Christians, however, are the only believers in their work, families, even in their community or town. And if you're around missions enough, right, there's some Christians that, that they're the only Christians in their area or a whole country. God knows intimately the abilities, gifts, opportunities, and circumstances of every person, and he graciously assigns responsibilities accordingly. Within the body of Christ, there is a diversity of resources, giftings, wealth, and opportunities. Which leads us to our fourth lesson that we learn from this parable. The more given, the more responsibility. The more given, the more responsibility. Remember the parable, verse 15. To, to one... He gave five talents to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Each was given a different responsibility according to their abilities. Let me just ask this question. Who is sovereign over our abilities? I, just personally, I love this parable. I love this parable because I I believe it's so freeing on one side. It's so freeing on one end. Because I I look out on the the landscape. Like, when I was becoming a pastor, I started seeing people that were uh, pastors around me that were so gifted. Right? Men that um, I watch online, like John MacArthur, John Piper, Al Mohler. We've been sitting here 25 years under Andy. Men that were just so gifted. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, I'm not even close to them intellectually. Like, I, I, I struggled in school my whole life, just so you know, all the way up through college. I think college is when I finally started kicking in, and, um, and I started working hard and realizing, you know what, let's just keep, keep working at it. And, and, and you know what, this is the reality that helped me get there, because it was like, hey, this is who God made me. And still to this day, you might laugh at this, I'm I, probably the slowest reader in this room, including some of you kids. <laughs> you're like, no, you're not, Nathan, you're just being humble. Ask my wife, I'm a slow reader. But that's who God made me. And I'm responsible with what he's given me to use. Right? To use to glorify him. It's freeing to not compare myself to men that have been given more resources. In fact, this is what God told Moses. Exodus 4.10 says this, But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and of tongue. I don't know if that means that he had a speech impediment. Probably he had trouble speaking publicly. But this is what the Lord said to him, verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who, is, who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? 
God is the one that gives us our resources, our intellect, our, our speaking abilities, our health, our talents. Now let me just say this. If you live in America, which I'm assuming everyone that's listening to me does, we are blessed. We are blessed. Every single one of us is blessed with a lot of resources. And we will be responsible for how we use those resources one day. Because those that were given more had more responsibilities. And this truth leads us to our fifth and final lesson. God is looking for faithfulness, not results. God is looking for faithfulness, not results. Again, if you're a parent, this is freeing. We're called to be faithful as parents. God is looking for faithfulness, not results. Remember, the first servant made five talents. The second servant made two talents. Five talents, especially when we're talking about this much wealth, is a lot more than two talents. Yet both got the same response from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's because both were equally faithful. Both doubled what was given to them. You know, I've heard Andy say this a number of times. It's like the prophet Jonah and the prophet Jeremiah. The faithless prophet, right, Jonah, who, who was told to go to Nineveh and try to go to Tarshish, and then on his way said, you know, I'm just going to commit suicide. I'm jumping off the boat. And God swallows him with a, with a fish and spits him out and says, nope, you're going to Nineveh. <laughs> and he goes to Nineveh and preaches, and there's 120,000 converts. And he's ticked off at God because of it. <laughs> Faithless prophet. And then you have Jeremiah, who didn't have one convert his whole life. Who do you think God was more pleased with? Jeremiah, who was faithful. God is looking for faithfulness, not results. It's not about results, it's about faithfulness. We are called to be faithful with the resources that God has given us. That's the point of this parable. And I just want to say this. If you don't know the Lord this morning, some faces out there I don't recognize, and I know there's people watching online. Again, we don't, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. By faith in Christ. Put your faith in Him. He lived the perfect life. It's His works that save, not ours. We all have failed. He lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay for our penalty. And again, was raised on the third day, seated at the right hand of God. If you put your faith in him, you'll be saved. I want to say this too. If you claim to be a Christian this morning, and there is absolutely no fruit in your life, and God is the last thing that's on your mind, you need to examine your life and see if you truly are in his kingdom. If you truly are saved, if you truly have put your faith in him, and what should you do if you find yourself there? The same thing as the first person, repent and believe. Repent from not putting him first in your life and believe in him. 
and then get to work. For all of us that are confident where we stand with the Lord, we are called to use everything we have for his glory. We are called to take the talent that was given to us and use it for his glory. That's the challenge of this parable. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, God, I thank you for this story, this parable that is inspired by you, Lord, that is for us. God, I believe it's both freeing and challenging. Freeing in the sense that, that we know you're the one that's given us our resources and abilities, Lord. And we don't have to compare ourselves to other people. We should just get to, to, get to working and, and use what we have to glorify you, to take the, the message to the ends of the earth, Lord, in, in every means possible, Lord. It's also challenging because you have given us so much. And we will be held accountable for what we have been given to you one day, Lord. I thank you for your grace, Lord. I do pray for anyone that, that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, that they wouldn't leave hear this building or turn off from watching on the internet, Lord, without examining their lives and and turning to you, Lord, and asking for forgiveness and trusting in you, Lord, knowing that we are saved by grace through faith, God. Be with us this morning. In your son's name, amen.